So Dan experienced that in childhood and Dan may at some point been like, Hey, I really want a Jaguar, Hmm. but wanting that Jaguar may come from a whole different slew of things than thinking that it's just an impulse buy. Like why would Dan want a Jaguar? But it could be because you want to reclaim back what was taken from you at that point. You have to go to that level and being like, why do I want this? Yeah. And does it make sense or will it fulfill what I'm thinking it's going to fulfill? And typically what a lot of you hear in media is that you purchase it and it doesn't fulfill that thing that you thought it was going to. And then you feel like it's an impulse buy. Yeah. But we're we're not getting to the root of the cause for that buy. Right. And that's what you have to ask yourself. And this is why people struggle with budgeting is because it's further away than just money or just purchasing a thing. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. This podcast is intended for free thinkers, entrepreneurs, and knowledge seekers. Join us as we discuss relevant financial topics, explore with guests their financial journeys, and engage with experts in industries such as space, media and entertainment, real estate, and many more. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. You're with your hosts, myself, Tim Bickmore, and my colleague, Dan Weiss. And today we are going to talk about spending habits. Mm-hmm. We're going to go into some, some details around spending habits and what Dan and I typically see when we're working with our clientele. Uh, Dan was mentioning right before we jumped on here that we are very data-centric when it comes to our financial planning process. So we actually get to see a lot of trends and different things when it comes to people's transactional level data, understanding their habits uh, when it comes to their money, I mean, we typically see when people get stressed, we see spend go up. When they're not as stressed, spend comes back down. You know, it's just a very um, interesting to match, I guess, the qualitative with the quantitative. And you can actually start seeing some trends and some different data, which isn't the typical, hey, let's set up a budget and have line item by line item. And we're going to, you know, make sure we only spend 10% on food. We don't love that as a mentality. But then the question is, okay, Tim, well, how do we make sure we can execute on making sure we're spending enough and what's appropriate? And that's what we really want to talk about today is some of those trends, what we see, and then some ways that we can execute on being more financially healthy, I guess would be a good way to say that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Tim and I often can talk about this in the sense of like financial nutrition, right? Uh, Like Tim was saying, you know, maybe you cut carbs, not all diets work for everybody, but it's this is uh, this is not meant to be end all. I fixed this. Uh, no, actually, I think a lot of times people look at it that way. Yeah. And now I'm good um, because these are habits we're talking about too. So this is really a how do I alter so it fits me, and how do I maintain? Just like a health plan. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. And if you do talk to a lot of people in the nutritional space. Uh, everyone would say everyone is different. I mean, I believe nutrition is even getting down to like the individual gut biome of an individual. Like that's what they're trying to get to. I think it's very representative that everyone has different um, values, likes, needs when it comes to their spending habits. And those spending habits come from a long generation mm-hmm. of growing up, exposure to other people, your what you've learned about money, what your relationship with money is. So it, it is very individualized. And that's how we try to approach it with our clients. Absolutely. Yeah. Here are some things that we often get into conversations when it comes to altering spending habits. We'll start with one that we see all the time these days, uh, which is spending on restaurants, in particular coffee, right? The little things definitely add up. Yep. 
And, and so we see a lot of effort towards uh, that topic. Uh, Tim, you get to look through this data more often than I. Yeah, I think that, the, that I, it's funny. We have this conversation quite a bit. People, when they say, hey, Tim, I'm spending too much, always go to food. I don't know why, but food always seems the one. And typically the, the conversation will be, we go out to eat too much. So it's, an, it's a very interesting concept that comes up very, very frequent. What I like to typically do, though, when people say that to me, is I start then breaking their food budget down per meal per day to be like, how much are we really spending per meal per day? And typically we'll break it down. And sometimes it's around $8 per meal per day, assuming you're eating three meals per day. And then that's not even per person. That's just as a household. So it could be two individuals. And it's like eight bucks. I mean, can you go to Subway and get a meal for eight dollars? You can. Yeah. The five, the five dollar footlongs. Those days are dumb, but yeah. you probably still get. You can, yeah, yeah, you might be able to get close, but mm -hmm. that's the point. Is where I think there's this un. People feel like they're spending too much, but they don't really understand what that breaks down to. And then, can you actually make a change to make an impact to some of your savings? Yeah. Now, the other thing that we see quite a bit too is that food and dining, or even coffee, are not just about the actual item, mm -hmm. but it's more of a social and or more of a routine or a habit that people have formed or convenience or convenience. Right. And so it's, it's breaking it down to, well, why do you want to change and why do you want to shift and what are you willing to give up in order to make said changes? Mm -hmm. Now, this is an interesting stat that um, we, we came up with here and there, some studies do show that 27% of the survey respondents admitted to spending more on coffee than saving for retirement, while 49 of those surveys were spending more on restaurants than retirement. Now, this is a really interesting concept, right? If you were to take that data and look at it, you're like, oh, people are, people are idiots. Why are they spending so much money on this food and not saving for retirement for the future? But if you just, again, only look at it fundamentally that it's the item in which you're purchasing but not the experience in which you're getting. So we have sometimes have clients where they're like, hey, Tim, I go out too much. And then my question is, great, let's cut back. Are you willing not to hang out with your friends? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, I can tell that it seems that this is a very social experience for you. That means that you're not just cutting away from your restaurants, you're cutting away from your friends. Do you want to do that? And so that's the question that you have to ask in order to be realistic about trying to cut something like that out of your life. Coffee is another good one. Are you willing to make it at home? Are you willing to give up the convenience? And are you willing not to have that one time where I like to walk to the coffee shop? It clears my head. I don't have to think about anything. I'm not on my phone. Maybe it's a little meditative. Are you willing to give that up and shift it to something else? That's for a lot of people. Then all of a sudden people start thinking about it very differently. No longer is it an item. It's more of an experience or what you're getting qualitatively. And that's when you can truly start to assess if it's something you want to break down. Uh, I will say that we're when we really throw a red flag up for this situation, because if it's something like Tim's saying that has multiple meanings for you and is an important thing and you really enjoy it, it may not be where you should cut, even though it is costly yeah. and rising uh, rapidly is in, in these times of inflation, which is probably another reason why it comes up first line item as well, too. But um you know, is it important to you? Which I think we're going to kind of hit that sentence there several times for this podcast is if it's important to you and there are things that are less important to you, maybe consider cutting those first. Where we see an issue a lot of times is we'll see high costs of dining out 
and high cost of groceries. This is a flag for us. Sometimes that makes sense, but a lot of times it doesn't. Does that mean that there's food at home that's not being digested and being tossed out and that's wasteful? Or is one more important than the other? And usually one is more important than the other. So if both those expenses tend to be, you feel on the high end, then I do think it's something to explore. Or if it's something that is less important to you than say travel or other forms of entertainment, then I think it's something to explore. It's a great starting point, but it may not be the answer. Yeah. And another item too is that we'll see is that people will spend money on things like restaurants when they travel for work. And that will inflate their personal costs significantly. And that story is hard to tell because only you know that story. So there are ways to handle that. Maybe you're putting on a different card so that you can better assess those expenses. Or, and this is absolutely focused towards our Netflix clients, or you need to put your reimbursements through. We know that it's a huge pain. Tim and I don't like doing our reimbursements for our own firm, but it is really important to do because those things definitely add up and they're easy to forget, which is why some of these companies like when, when you don't do them, right? And you forget to do it. So definitely do those, do those reimbursements. Good points. I'd say the other place too, where we see things hidden all the time when we're looking through people's categories are there are certain areas that we see a lot of places, I'd say, a lot of shopping done, and we don't know if it's food or not. It could be Amazon. You can buy anything on Amazon from A to Z, right? So a lot of times that's food cost. And then when you go to cut this food budget, it really distorts things. It's very difficult to figure out then mm-hmm. what you're really cutting and what not. Or Costco is another example. Or if you live in LA, the Costco is another example of this too, where you can get so many things there yeah. that is it food is not. Walmart's another example of this. Target story. and Target. Target's also the, a big a big one on there. And it's good to assess and understand, which is great. Yeah. Um, so should we, what do we think? What do we got in our next, what do we got for our next line item here? Well, um, I think we do hear a lot, especially in the last couple of years, as we're becoming more and more of a subscription based um, consumer mm-hmm. overall, we definitely hear people that will go automatically to cutting subscriptions, right? Yep. That, and, and that one's also an interesting one. So we typically speaking with our clients, we will do an, an in-depth kind of detailed analysis on subscriptions and memberships to see what that looks like. And depending on some people, yes, I think you could say, look, if you're not using the subscription, if you're not getting value from it, just cut it, just get rid of it, just be done with it. Um, it's easy to let it to continue to ride over time. Um, usually with these subscription payments, we see a lot of it now with the unbundling of cable and TV. So you have Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, right? those all come in um, or HBO, whatever it may be. So you may have a lot of subscriptions that are kind of coming through that maybe you don't watch HBO as much. You only watch Netflix or Hulu or whatever it may be. So if you don't really watch it, then it's easy to cut. We have had some clients were like, I didn't realize I had this additional subscription on Amazon because my friend purchased it while she was, while, while they were with us, like right for, for a weekend. And then they're like, I had no idea. So it can get hard to see because you're just not paying attention that closely. The reason why I'm kind of like wavering on this one is typically speaking with a lot of our clients, it's yes, we we could cut it, but it's also not going to be a cut where we can then save a ton for retirement, right? These subscriptions are not as big of a of an area to cut to like make a very significant impact. It will make an impact. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, sugarcoat that. I don't want to, you know. Put it in the, put it to the side. It can help. It's just not going to be like, 
oh, I went from feeling like I am tight to I'm feeling like I have a ton of money. It'd be more like I'm feeling tight to I I feel a little bit better, which is always it's an improvement, but it's not something that is going to be completely significant unless you have bigger memberships. Some of our clients like Soho, for example, Soho is a membership club that you can go to. Fantastic. There's a lot that comes with that. There's a lot of value that is bringing, but those are a little bit larger memberships and subscriptions. But what's interesting about that kind of category of membership or subscription, people are very aware of it. It's, it's very in your face because of the cost in which it is. Um, so it's a little bit easier to manage or understand or, or not want to do it any uh, doing it any longer. So those little guys, Netflix, Amazon, other things can get, it just gets lost in the sauce. So I think we just make sure you pay attention to it, you know, review it. Make- um, impulse buying. Impulse buying. Oh, this is a, you know, I, here's my opinion on impulse buying. I think that's actually overrated. I don't think as many people impulse buy as what people think they do. Yeah. I don't think so. I think that there is a connotation that people impulse buy or that people are not being rational about the decisions that they're making mm-hmm. for doing this for, I mean, would have been in the stand now, seven, 10 plus years. We're looking, you know, total career. I think I'm, I'm pushing 20 yeah, this year. I would say that at the end of the day, Every impulse buy that we've experienced, if you were to ask somebody why you did it, there is always a reason for why it was purchased. It was never a decision that was truly, I just bought it to buy it, Hmm. right? So we had in some of our notes like a Chanel bag. I'll pick on Ying. Ying would never buy a Chanel bag impulsively. She would research it. She would look for it. She would find it. She think about the resale value of it three years. 100%. And she'd make money on that. If you, but if you looked at her transactions, not knowing Ying, you'd be, ah, oh, it's an impulse buy. Why would you buy a Chanel bag, right? Specifically, um, I think that people get that as well. So let's use a Lamborghini, for example. Sometimes people may go buy nicer cars, right? And you'd be like, well, that's an impulse buy. But mm-hmm. then you ask them, well, why did you buy that? And typically speaking, they're going to have a very real reason. It just doesn't have anything to do with money. <laughs> No. Right. And so it's, I don't love the world word impulse because impulse makes it feel like you just purchase something without thinking about it at all. And people just don't typically do that. Now, the reasoning may not be the reasoning that I agree with, but people don't do it impulsively. They've thought about it. And there's typically a reason you could call that rationalization buying if you want instead of impulse. But people do not just go ahead and purchase. I would say that if anyone truly impulse buys, truly, it doesn't matter. Like that purchase truly doesn't matter to their finances. They have so much money where they can literally just be like, yeah, I want the Rolex. But that's a whole different scenario than somebody who's maybe on a strict budget or is thinking about something, right? You'd have to have so much money where money no longer truly matters, right? You're talking ultra, ultra high net worth. But I just don't see it. So that's why I guess I struggle with the idea of impulse buying. I maybe would reframe it as rationalization buying. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does, Scoot. And maybe maybe we're really, yeah, maybe it is that. Maybe it's a fitted buy or a non-fitted buy. Yeah. Right? Like to pick on Ying because we love doing it. <laughs> Ying buys a Chanel bag. And you know where the Chanel bag's going? From her house to this office. Like she's not, <laughs> Ying's not like walking on Rodeo Drive or somewhere to show people her. She can give a shit as to who sees a Chanel bag 
it's it she doesn't go anywhere she just mm-hmm. she just she just goes and brings it to the office and tim and i you probably don't notice it nine out of ten nor do we care and she knows that so she's really doing that for herself yeah that's a good reason to buy something if it and i think that's maybe more of the point here that you're also making is there is always a justification the question is is that justification a forced one or or is it true to your heart Yes. And and Tim's brother talks about this all the time when he's walking people through a home that he's looking to build and he'll watch human beings justify their way into the purchases house. it. Yeah. Yeah. But For, it's not that they haven't thought about it. No, they've, they've thought about it probably too much mm-hmm. um, and they've overthought it, but, um, but they'll do that. And so really what's, I think, pulling the justification of this and is it authentic or is it not really leads to a fitted by yeah. Instead of an impulse buy, um, maybe that's the way to look at it. I mean, Tim mentions the Lamborghini, one of our favorite books we mention all the time, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. You know, there's a part in there where he talks about someone buying an expensive car. We've probably referenced this many times over in several podcasts where the person buys a car because they're doing it to feel good about themselves and they're feeling good based on how people see them. But the psychology tells you that that person that pulls up next and sees that next, that person sees that car. They're not thinking one thought about usually who's driving that car or, wow, look at that person. All they're thinking about, typically speaking, is that's a cool car. And I picture myself in that car. And, and that's it. They're thinking about the car, not the person driving the car, which completely defeats the purpose as to why some of these people buy cars. Now, if they're a person who really, really loves cars, it's nostalgic for them. It's, mm-hmm. just their, it's their hobby, whatever. That's a completely different reason that maybe makes sense to justify into. But if you don't love cars, justifying that it makes you feel more valued or important based on someone else's viewpoint, that's probably not the outcome that's going to be had there. Well, and I'm, so I might use you, Dan, as an example, right? Oh, Using cars. So obviously we've talked on podcasts. Dan had a very interesting childhood. There was some reclaiming that happened when he was in his in his uh, teenage years. And one of the reclaims that Dan's talked about is a Jaguar, right? One of your dad's cars, which was a Jaguar, which was a really nice Jaguar. I think it was early 90s. So Dan experienced that in childhood. And Dan may at some point been like, hey, I really want a Jaguar. But wanting that Jaguar may come from a whole different slew of things than thinking that it's just an impulse buy. Like, why would Dan want a Jaguar? But it could be because you want to reclaim back what was taken from you at that point. Now, you could, again, either say that's justified or non-justified, but there is a reasoning behind it. Mm-hmm. And in order to start asking the questions, if you if it is fitted or not, you have to go to that level being like, why do I want this? Yeah. And does it make sense or will it fulfill what I'm thinking it's going to fulfill? And typically what a lot of you hear in media is that you purchase it. And it doesn't fulfill that thing that you thought it was going to. And then you feel like it's an impulse buy. Yeah. But we're remorse. But we're not getting to the root of the cause for that buy. Right. And that's what you have to ask yourself. And this is why people struggle with budgeting is because it's further away than just money or just purchasing a thing. If you really want to change your habits, you kind of have to understand why you're doing things. Mm. To kind of break it down. Hmm. So using that as example, I don't know if that's how you feel, but it was just an easy. Not on that, not on that but yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely felt that in other things, but I think mm-hmm. it's a great example because I could see somebody else absolutely feeling that way about a vehicle. Yeah, yeah 100%. Absolutely. So, and then the question is, is, I mean, I get it, right? It makes sense. So that's where I think the impulse by, I've, I've, I've come, I 
I, I think it's maybe restricting judgment on people's purchases mm. because I will never judge someone on their purchase until I understand why they did something. I need to know why did you buy the Lamborghini? Mm -hmm. What did that do for you? Mm -hmm. Does it have value? Which honestly breaks down to, if you're looking at it from like an economic lens, is your utility curve. I like Snickers bars better than Dan. I, my marginal you know, rate of return is eight. Dan's is three, right? That creates a different level of value of Snickers bars. So my personal preference could be different than Dan. So if I were to come in and judge Dan for his Jaguar purchase, that may not be the most applicable lens to use when trying to help someone really figure out what's going on. And speaking of which too, another place we see too, and we've talked about in past podcasts, I'm sure of, is what is your circle around you that's influencing these judgments? Very good point. Could be living inside your house. It could be not living inside your house. That's a really good point. But what's happening there? I mean, I, I know we're going a little long on this impulse buy, but I think Dan just hit on a really strong point. I love the, like who you're surrounded by. We do also experience this within habits is if you start talking to people who live in certain areas, New York, Los Angeles, it is very hard not to participate in the noise because it is surrounded and you are, you're blasted with it mm -hmm. constantly. So to be able to not have that feeling of needing to be with keeping up with the Kardashians, keeping up with the Joneses, that's hard. That is not something people are like, oh, just don't do it. It's like, yeah, but what if it's pounded in your face constantly? All right. And then you're feeling inadequate, like though it becomes an emotional reaction and mm -hmm. it's hard to be that separator. It is. We're just not built that way. So to have those reminders or those refreshers of like why you're doing something. And again, what do I want? Not what does everybody else want? And then being truly accepting of that is not easy. It's not. It's and not. It's also not unreal that sometimes some of these purchases, I hate to say it, it may not be you or entirely you. And I hate to, uh, to say, hey, don't do something that's not entirely you. It's not how I want to live my life. It's not how Tim lives his life. But the reality is sometimes you need to stage your house in particular parts of your house in a manner that, you know, fits the environment in which you work because you're throwing dinner parties and Fortunately, unfortunately, funny thing is probably a lot of those people in the room may not actually care, but they have to pretend they do. And that's a sad game. I hate that game. We don't get to see as much of that in the Midwest. Frankly, I'm very thankful for that. But there are other parts of the country. That's very real. It's very real. And mm -hmm. if you don't play the game, it can indeed impact your career. Same with a car. And especially if you're in a sales position, realtors are a great example of this where they may or may not care about the car. But the reality is if they show up in something that is not um, pouring out success, God, I hate saying that, um, it could affect their yeah. ability to bring in a client. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about just like setting up a budget in general? Since we've talked uh, about yeah, that, people get so scared by that word. I think, you know, all right, where do I start with a budget? Stay tuned for the second part of the episode. Like, like and subscribe. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. 
It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer, or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.